Hi guys, my name is Jason Mountford and this is episode 26 and today I'm going to be talking about inflation and inflation is a really interesting topic to me because it's something that is, um, especially at the moment, it's gaining some more traction in the news, there's a bit more talk about it because it is spiking and there's been a lot of talk about why why that is, um, which we'll go into, into detail today but the, the key issue is, is that inflation, in my opinion, is the biggest risk to your long-term wealth. And it's interesting because it's one of those things that kind of sneaks under the radar. It comes in through the back door and kind of pinches your lunch that way rather than smacking you in the face and, and nicking it like the stock market does. Um, the risks involved with inflation aren't quite as obvious, but they've never been greater as what they are now. So today I want to talk a little bit through um, this issue. And the, um, the reason why it's sort of come to my attention is because if you've listened to my kind of back catalogue or you listened to some, to some previous episodes, uh, I kind of I can't remember what episode it was. I should have probably checked, shouldn't I? But I went over what, uh, how much you need to retire on. So how much money do you need to have a comfortable retirement? Um, kind of, a, I think, a basic retirement or, or a very simple retirement. There's some figures that are put up, are put out every year by the Pension and a Lifetime Savings Association. And they basically go through and calculate how much do retirees need to live on to have various different standards of living. And they've just put out the new figures today. The latest report has come out and there's been a pretty significant rise in there. So I wanna talk through that. Um, and kind of, in a kind of related topic, I also want to talk about gold. Now, I'm not saying you should invest in gold. Actually, spoiler alert, I think that gold is a pretty bad investment. Um, but I've had an email come through from, from one of my listeners um, who is uh, Peter. And Peter has asked me uh, about gold, about bullion. And, you know, he's basically asked me how much should I have in my portfolio? What are your thoughts on it? And it's an interesting one. The questions that I've got on gold have gotten less over the last few years, and I think that's probably because of the rise of cryptocurrency, especially Bitcoin, because traditionally speaking, gold has been thought of to be a hedge against inflation, and often during times of crisis is seen as a bit of a safe harbor, seen as a bit of a safe place. So that's the show for today. I'm going to talk about inflation, um, and then I want to have a, a bit of a talk about gold. Now, obviously, I say this every week, um, but if you have a question yourself, I would really love to hear from you. I'd really love to include it in the show. Um, if you've got something that's a, a burning issue about personal finance, about investing, about the stock market, about cryptocurrency, NFTs, this latest mental craze of pe people paying millions of dollars and millions of pounds for JPEGs, anything like that that you want to know about, then please do feel free to get in touch. In the show notes down below, there is a link to my website, link to the podcast website. Um, you can jump on there, uh, find the contact page and get in touch with me that way. Um, and if you want to be kept up to date with, with my thoughts on these th kind of things, um, in your email inbox, I'm also starting an email newsletter. So again, you can check that out on my on my website below. So let's start with having a chat about inflation. So very, very quickly, I'm sure you all know what inflation actually is. I have talked about it in previous episodes of the show. But effectively, inflation is, is simply the, the rate at which prices go up for the things that we buy. And the inflation is kind of a catch-all term for loads of different measures of inflation because the way that this is calculated is by getting a basket of goods, 
and services and looking at how much the average cost has gone up for all of those different goods and services each year and then taking an average of that. So the reason why you will see different rates of inflation is because there are different ways that this is calculated. And some of the most um, common are CPI, Consumer Price Index. There's also RPI, which is the Retail Price Index. There's also CPIH, which is the CPI Consumer Price um, Index plus Housing. And all of these different measures will have different things that are in the basket. And so it can be kind of difficult to get a a single overriding figure for this because obviously the the things that we all spend money on are, are different for everybody so some people own their house so therefore the increase in the cost of their mortgage will make a big impact on their finances as opposed to someone who rents will obviously have a, you know the cost of average cost of increase in rent will have a bigger impact for them people who live in london are probably less likely to drive so increases in the cost of fuel is going to have probably um, proportionally less impact on somebody there but there but then again the increase in price of train tickets will have a proportionately higher impact on those people so there is no one number um, which is important because you often see different figures and it's also important because when we're looking at government legislation being changed and um government ministers or or figures or companies looking at picking which one they're going to use as their measure for inflation, they're often doing that that for a reason. So that's just kind of an important side point to note. But if we're looking at what what is the current rate of inflation? Well, at the moment, CPI, the Consumer Price Index, is at 3.2% and CPIH is at 3%. And the that is historically higher than it has been, particularly over recent years. Inflation has generally been very low, um, just like interest rates. If we look at other places in the world, America, for example, at the moment, the inflation rate in America is 5.25%. So inflation has definitely spiked. And there's been uh, a lot of a lot of reasons, uh, potential reasons for this. Um, no one can really say for sure exactly what is causing it. But one of the one of the factors is definitely the uh, COVID and the supply chain issues. And kind of how that works is that effectively, there's a number of different ways that infl- inflation can increase, but it's either the cost of goods going up at a certain rate, or the cost um, or, or the, um, the, the rate of wages going up. Uh, as well. So in this particular incident, basically both of those both of those uh, sides of the equation always comes down to the, the broad economic um, idea of supply versus demand. And one of the reasons that inflation has gone up recently is because of COVID. And we've had a lot of issues with supply chain issues. So um, for example, motor vehicles, there's been a really big shortage of getting microchips, like the computer chips for cars. Um, they're all manu- The majority of them are manufactured in China. There's been obviously in loads of industries along that supply chain, mining industries, logistics, um, transport industries, the actual uh, factories that manufacture the chips. Loads of these steps in the supply chain have been disrupted by COVID, which means there's a shortage of these chips, which means that the, um, the price for what is available has been going up. Obviously, in the UK, we've had all these issues about HGV drivers. So the cost of, and there's been a lot of um, a lot of uh, publicity around how much they're getting paid and how they're having to constantly increase the prices or the, the salaries that they're offering to these drivers. And 
Those are all the sorts of things that increase the costs all along the chain of our goods and services. And then obviously as those costs rise, the companies that are the end, you know, that are delivering that product to the end consumer need to pass on those costs. So if you are the um, person who is buying a car and that company, the car company, all of a sudden is having to pay a lot more for all of their components, in order for them to maintain their profits and maintain a business that can actually continue to run, they may have to put up the price of, of the car. So then that means your costs are going up in order to, to run your life, because obviously it's not just cars. This is happening for groceries, it's happening for utility bills, it's happening all across the various sectors. And then therefore your budget is put under more pressure and therefore you look for ways to make more money, whether that's asking for a pay rise. And it's this ongoing cycle of prices going up and, and us needing to keep pace with that from our wages or from our investments. So that's one of the reasons how it can happen. The other reason is through something that's been happening for a long time now, since basically since 2008, which is the fancy term is quantitative easing, which is effectively the government's printing a lot of money. Um, and I saw an incredible stat the other day, actually, which was um, that 40% of US dollars in circulation that have ever been printed, that have ever been created, 40%, 4-0, of US, of the total supply of US dollars ever created has been created in the last 12 months. And that gives you a bit of an idea of the scope at which the money supply, the level of money printing that is going on. And there's just this week just gone, there was talk about printing, minting a $1 trillion US dollar coin to try and get the government out of the, the, the debt ceiling problem that they had. So that is one of the other ways how inflation can can increase is that if you're if you've got a 100 pounds in the system let's just say the whole all of the money that's available in the whole economy is 100 pounds then that one of those pounds will buy you 1% of everything that's available in the economy 1% of gdp for example what would happen if all of a sudden another 100,000 pounds got dropped from a helicopter onto the uk well all of a sudden there wouldn't be a hundred pounds to go around the whole country. There would be a hundred thousand, one hundred pounds. So there'd be a lot more actual numbers, a lot more actual money, and therefore all of our goods and services would go up in price very quickly because the actual value of that that note or that coin has been devalued purely because there's been a whole bunch more parachuted in. So that can shoot prices up as well. And the you know there's lots of other reasons that that come into this, but broadly speaking, there are two of the things that are kind of um, top of mind at the moment and, and, and getting the most press about what is driving inflation. But, you know, at the end of the day, the reasons behind it don't really matter to you and me, do they? The, the, the end result is that we are paying more for our goods and services. So, uh, like I say, the, the um, Pensions and Lifetime Savings Association uh, look at these figures every year and they, they look at what does it cost for the average individual or the average um, person in a couple to have a, a comfortable retirement. What are they? Hold on, I've got them here. A minimum standard, a moderate standard, and a comfortable standard. Now, obviously, all of us would probably like to be shooting for that comfortable standard. And this year, that figure um, has increased to £49,700 for a couple to have a comfortable retirement. And there's a, a whole um, like graphic on on what that means. And again, I did, I did talk about this um, a couple of months back, but, you know, for example, 
on a minimum standard of living, a minimum retirement, you'd be looking at spending um, 67 quid a week. On a comfortable standard, you'd be spending 94 quid a week. That's for a single person. Um, for holidays, on the minimum standard, you'd be looking at a week-long coach holiday in the UK, spending 150 with 150 quid spending money plus a weekend away in York. On the comfortable standard of living, you're looking at two weeks in the Mediterranean plus one week um, in winter in the Canary Islands. So, you know, they do go into quite a bit of detail of what these standards of living actually look like. And as I say, for a couple, it's gone up 2,200 pounds, which interestingly is 4.6%. So again, you can see how there can be easy ambiguity and easy... um, not fudging of the numbers. I don't want to make it sound like some grand conspiracy, but you know, inflation is only one part of the puzzle. And personally, I feel like if we're looking at the current inflation rate at three or three point two percent, I feel like the cost of living has gone up more than that from my own day-to-day expenditure. And this this um, this study from from the Pensions and Lifetime Savings Association kind of backs it up. That you know, for almost five percent, that's a pretty pretty big jump in in living costs. And so what this is really showing us is that broadly speaking, regardless of the reasons, is that the cost of living is going up more than it has gone up for quite some time. And the thing that makes this of particular importance at the moment is that the interest that we're getting on bank accounts is insanely low. I had a look today and the average um, the average interest rate on a on a just a regular savings account in the UK is 0.19%. So, you know, if inflation is at 4.6% and you're only getting 0.19%, it doesn't take a genius to work out that that is not a good long-term situation. And to look at some figures around this, let's let's um uh, I I've jumped on a calculator to look at what is the impact of inflation. Be let's assume you've got a uh, hundred thousand pounds, and that could be in a bank account, it could be in an ISA, it could be in a pension. But let's say you've you've got that hundred thousand pounds, and you've decided that you don't want to take any risk with your money. And this is a really key point: you don't want to take any risks. You don't want to invest the money because you're worried about losing any. You don't want it to go down value. You've got your hundred grand. You want to keep your hundred grand. You just feel secure with that. You put that 100000 into the savings account, the average savings account at the moment, earning 0.19%. And let's say that inflation is, uh, the calculator I've got doesn't allow me to put in a specific figure. So let's say inflation is at 4 point, uh, sorry, let's say inflation is at, yeah, 4.19%, right? So it means that after you've got a bit of interest, the actual net rate of inflation, the net um inflation rate for you in these circumstances is 4%. Now, if you invested, if you had that, that sorry, that 100,000 sitting in that account earning 0.19% and inflation was at 4.19%, in 10 years time, the purchasing power of your 100,000 pounds will have decreased to 67,556. So by not investing your money, by taking no risk, you've effectively guaranteed that you are going to lose money. And that is a pretty high level of inflation, granted. But even if you are, um, even if you, if we reduce that to just a smidge over one percent, so one point two five percent minus your 0.19, so it's like one point oh six percent actual inflation, which is on the low end. In ten years' time, your one hundred thousand, the purchasing power, what that money actually is worth in real terms, would go down to eighty eight thousand three hundred eighteen. Um, 
dollars, pounds. So that means that by deciding to take no risk, you are guaranteeing that you'll lose money. And this is where I think it gets a bit, it can be, when I said at the very at the very start, that inflation, it kind of nicks your lunch um, from through the back door because it looks to you, I've got 100 grand, the start of the 10 years, in the 10 years, still got 100 grand. Happy days, not lost any money. What a great call that was. But actually, your money has gone down in value and it's it's guaranteed to do that every single year. So actually what we're, what we're looking at when we're comparing investing versus saving is volatility versus a guaranteed loss. So I think this is a really, really important point to constantly be talking about because it can be it can be kind of hard to get your head around if you're not used to looking at this this sort of stuff. So if you're looking at a an inflation rate of four percent, you need to be investing any and you're looking for something long term, you need to be investing just to keep pace with the cost of living. Because not only do you need to get above that rate of inflation in terms of return for your money to just tread water, stay even, you need to be able to cover any fees that you pay to the investment manager or buy and sell costs if you're buying direct equities. And you need to be um, covering any tax, which you know might not be applicable if you've got an ISA or whatever. But if you're if you've got money that's over and above the ISA and pension allowances and you've got some taxable amounts, there's tax to be taken off as well. So Investing, from my perspective, is becoming even more important. Over the past few years, you could have got away with it a little bit because interest rates have been incredibly low, but inflation hasn't really been that high. So the impact is still there. Don't get me wrong, it's still there. But the impact hasn't been as high as what it is now. Now, there are people who are saying that this is just a transitory issue. It's not going to be around for the long term. It's because of COVID and once things go back to normal, that um, inflation will come down. And that may be true. What I'm seeing is that things aren't really returning to normal. You've got a lot of problems going on in terms of, as I said earlier on, the HGV crisis, the driver crisis, crisis, I shouldn't use that word, it's a bit of a stupid word, but the shortage of HGV drivers, that's going to increase the wages of um, HGV drivers uh, drivers quite significantly, really, I think, um, for this to become... Oops, Siri thinks I'm talking to her. Let's turn her off. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, yeah, it's increasing the wages of um, HGV drivers quite significantly. And I don't know about you, but if I go into a job that pay me 80 grand a year or 70 grand a year, whatever we're seeing on the news, I'm not really going to accept them next year saying, oh, sorry, guys, inflation has actually come down a bit now. So could we just cut your wages back to 60K? No, it's not going to happen. You know, once you set a precedent, those wages may not increase a lot over the next 10 years, but it's not like you can just chop and change and drop prices dramatically once there is something that is that is um, once there's a precedent that has been set. So I personally think that the higher inflation uh, environment is going to be around for a little while. That is just my personal opinion. Um, lots of people disagree with me. Um, but either way, you know, it, it's never been more important to invest in a way which gives you the potential to outstrip inflation. Now, there are lots of ways to do this. Really, the important thing is investing in asset classes that have that potential. So the stock market is a very obvious one. You know, when you are investing in the stock market, you're investing in companies that create revenue, drive profits from goods and services. So as those goods and services rise with inflation, you are the profits of those companies, you know, on average, on a whole, there's obviously going to be some that underperform, some that outperform, but on a whole, the profits of companies should be relatively protected against inflation because they have to re increase their prices to 
keep pace with inflation. So investing in the stock market is a really good way. Property is another one. And, you know, I, I don't love property, but broadly speaking, again, you know, the cost of housing um, will over the long term, on average, should at least keep pace with inflation. Again, shocks can happen. Short term crisis can happen that mean property prices go down. But broadly speaking, long term, it is a good hedge against inflation. Um, the things that aren't necessarily a good hedge against inflation are investment assets that are tied to interest rates. So as I said before, savings accounts, incredibly low interest at the moment. Um, anything that's kind of else that's derived off interest rates, like fixed interest, gilt, bonds, things like that, they're also likely to be a tough asset class to outperform inflation because they are based off these historically low interest rates. Um, so really, it comes down to investing in real assets that are uh, that have real application in the real world that have the potential to outperform inflation. And, you know, another one I can't not mention is is Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, because at the moment there's a lot of discourse around um, how Bitcoin is the new gold and people are going into it as a hedge against inflation. I definitely don't think we're there yet with any cryptocurrencies. I think it still is a very, very speculative asset. Personally, again, my own personal opinion, um, it's a very speculative asset. What you want from a investment if you're trying, if your key objective is to outperform inflation is you need something that is relatively predictable in the way that that price is going to move. Um, you know, if inflation is at 4%, you want to be able to fairly confidently rely on a five or 10 year cycle that you're going to outperform that. Cryptocurrency could, um, but it also has massive swings where it underperforms inflation by like a bloody 90%. So that, in my opinion, isn't an effective hedge against inflation. It may get there one day, but I don't think that they're anywhere near being uh, mature enough as an asset class to be there yet. But that links me on nicely to the question from uh, from Pete, which was about gold. And as I said, uh, some people are calling Bitcoin the new gold, and I don't think we're there yet. But gold is, you know, often being thought of as a store of inflation, uh, again, uh, sorry, a store of wealth, with, which is a hedge against inflation, because it's real, because it's tangible, because you can pick it up no one's coming in and chipping parts of your gold for every year. It is what it is. It is a lump that sits there that has value. Why does it have value? Well, broadly speaking, in the you know, generally it has value because we have all agreed that it has value. It is scarce, right? So there's only a limited source of gold on the earth. Although there's found more on asteroids and stuff, so who knows when that will change with Elon and old Jeffrey Bezos um, getting their rockets up there, that's supply could increase. But yeah, gold is finite, right? At the end of the day, it is finite. It is fairly scarce. So therefore, we have agreed throughout history that it is a good store of wealth. Um, it does have some limited use in, in industry. You know, we do, there's, there's gold and stuff in our phones. It's got some good thermal properties and that sort of thing. But, you know, generally speaking, in terms of the value of gold, that's a pretty, pretty minor point. You know, the end result is we um, we've all agreed that gold is scarce, it's a good source of value, and therefore it's a good source of value. Now, Peter's asked me, um, what was his actual question? Um, having read multiple sources, it seems bullion is a good way of protecting some wealth without having to worry about inflation and stock market crashes. What are your thoughts, and what percentage of your of your portfolio would you suggest I have in bullion, if any? Now, I see gold bullion as a very niche asset class. I don't see it as a um, a very good investment personally. So um, 
there it can be a protection against inflation. You know that there are times during a crisis, gold often will increase over the short term. You know, in two thousand and eight, that happened um, because it's kind of, um, you know, again, it's it's kind of a something that is a common theory or a common thought and therefore it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy so um that is that does hold some truth i think long term whenever i'm looking at investing some in something i don't like the idea of the only way I, I make money from that is if i get somebody else to pay me more than what i paid for it so this is what's known as the greater fool theory which is that um, certain asset classes, the only way you're going to make a profit from them is if you find a greater fool to pay more than what you paid for it. So, you know, if we look at investing in the stock market, investing in Apple, the reason why you're paying money for a stock, um, a share in, in Apple is because, yeah, you think the prices go up, but the, it's going to go up. But the reason why you think the price is going to go up is because you believe that Apple is going to make generate revenue, generate profits, which is going to make them a more valuable company in the future. You feel like they're going to sell more phones. They're going to make more good shows for Apple TV. They're going to provide a service or provide a good that people will pay real money for, um, derive real value from, which will increase the value of the business. Gold doesn't do that. Gold doesn't pay an income. Um, it just sits there. Like I say, there's some limited um, use in uh, in industry, but that's like a transactional thing. You could sell some of your gold to Apple to make a circuit board or whatever, but you know, at the end of the day, gold doesn't have any intrinsic inherent, well, it doesn't have much intrinsic and inherent value. It's not an investment asset in the true sense of the word. Same with a property um, in terms of actually being an investment asset, you know, as much as it's not my favorite investment asset, you know, at the end of the day, if you have an investment property, you have someone who is paying you money to use it, whether that's through a residential rental, whether that's a corporate tenant, um, retail store, whatever, you have a source of income from that asset and you can gain a, a return on your investment just by holding it or you can gain capital growth if if it's, you know, the, the area increases and therefore, um, and again, thinking about the reason, there's always a reason behind this. So if, the, if it's a retail store, for example, if you buy it in an area that's a bit run down, you're getting income from it, but the, the, the price can rise. But why is the price rising? The price is rising because potentially as the area becomes gentrified, the people that are going to walk past that shop are going to be higher income earners and therefore they're going to have more money to spend on the shop. So therefore, the person running the shop is going to be earning more money and therefore can afford to pay you more rent as a landlord. So it all flows through to actually making more money from the actual underlying asset without having to buy or sell it. So gold is one of these ones that falls into this category of the greater fool theory. The only way I can make, I could buy gold tomorrow, tomorrow. The only way really I can make money from that is by selling it on to somebody else when the price has gone up. It's the same reason why I'm not I'm not uh, sold on NFTs. You know, if you've seen this, non-fungible tokens. Um, uh, there's lots of different applications and lots of different types, but one of the, the kind of most common is just artwork. It's like JPEG artwork, small little pictures of pixelated frogs and monkeys and stuff. And yeah, it's kind of cool, some of the pictures, but people are spending like 500,000 pounds, a million pounds on these little JPEGs. And the only way that you're going to make a profit from those is if you find somebody else to buy it from you for a higher price. So again, it's the reason why I don't like that. Now, the gold, the problems with gold, in my opinion, again, just my opinion, don't stop there um, because one of the key things, 
pros you always hear about holding holding goals there's no fees it doesn't cost me anything well that's bullshit it does it costs you a lot of money i don't know if you've ever looked at actually holding gold it's an absolute pain in the ass like i have actually looked into this cuz just through curiosity and you've got a few options number 1 you could store it in your house right so you could store it in your house but you you straight away have an issue because number 1 you're storing it in your house so if you get robbed or if someone finds out you have a bunch of gold in your house that's not good so or if your house catches fire that's not good so you need to somehow protect your gold so okay got to fork out a couple of grand for a safe because if you go to your house insurance go to your housing insurance company and say oh hey mate um by the way i've got 10,000 quid worth of gold under my bed can i just add that to my insurance they don't do it they there's no way in hell you're going to be able to get a, a insurance for that at least at a reasonable level of premium so you can't insure it so then you can pr- try and protect it you get a safe that costs a fortune fireproof safes are very expensive um it still doesn't guarantee that that that, that will be um that will be protected um so that's your first option and actually unless you're holding like a million quids worth of gold that actually has a management charge if you actually work out what it's going to cost you to 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 do that um is quite expensive there's also buy sell spreads so the wholesale price of gold that you see is never what you're going to be actually buy gold for so there's still costs involved in buying and selling it um so the alternative is well what about if i store it at the bank or a storage facility again well, then that's your management charge, right? Like that's the protection. You're going to have to pay them a monthly fee in order for them to to look after your your gold for you. So um, that, I mean, and, and the other funny thing about gold as well is that often some of the people who are most keen on it are kind of doomsday preppers kind of people who feel like the world is not headed in a good place. We could end up in anarchy and they want to have a store of, you know, there could be a run on the banks and that sort of stuff. And like, you know, it's, conspiracy talk but i could i can see how someone would get to that point i guess where i struggle is if you think that um if we turn into mad max world um i I don't understand really how you having a few um some a few ounces of gold is going to make you be in any sort of better position i'm sure you'd get uh you get done over pretty quick once someone found out you had that. So broadly speaking, uh, you know, I sound like I'm shitting on this totally, which I kind of am. But the, the point is, I don't think it's a very good investment. I think if you're wanting to hedge against inflation, I think that's a great train of thought. I think if you've got to the idea of investing in gold because you're worried about inflation, that's what my whole episode today has been about. I think that's really, really the right train of thinking. I think you're really onto the right track. So the reasoning behind Pete's question there is, is very good. I totally understand where he's coming from, um, but I think there are definitely um, better ways to be looking at at trying to get ahead of inflation. Right, guys, that is it for today's episode. As always, I really appreciate you listening in. I hope that has been useful. If you have any questions, all of my contact information or my website, it's all through the website now. It makes it so much simpler. Um, so you can jump on the website below, get in touch with me, check out some of the other content I've got on there, ask me your questions, and I look forward to chatting to you next week.